One year, I kind of got an idea, you know, I want to try trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Purpose and Game magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon ads. information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down top. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the fur shed, this is Trapping Today. I am your host, Jeremiah Wood. Thanks for tuning in. Great to have you here. We are brought to you by Cox Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cox Bros has a full line of trapping supplies, traps, snares, baits and lures, books and DVDs, everything you need to get started on the trap line. We're also brought to you by OnX Maps. Turn your phone into a fully functioning GPS. You can mark waypoints, track your movements, View all the landowner information and parcel data, the latest aerial imagery, and so much more. You can share your waypoints and tracks with friends to go help check traps for you. Um, find it all at onxmaps.com and use the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, for 20% off of your first purchase. All right, guys, this is another uh, great episode interview with Rich Mellon from Trapping Inc. TV. We had quite a long conversation, so we broke it up into different segments uh, to listen to in different episodes. Um, so we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, speaking of on X, uh, I, I did get a nice email from a guy that uses several of you guys use on X already on the trap line, and uh, talking about different ways that he uses it that we didn't talk about in in the last episode where we spoke uh, with. Jared Larson from Onyx. So I'm going to go over that probably in a future episode. Uh, Gotten quite a few emails that I probably haven't got back to yet because I've been sitting on a tractor uh, making hay. So uh, like like some of this stuff, I'll just, uh, it'll pop up on my phone and I'll read it and oh yeah, that's cool. But I don't actually have a chance to sit down and to respond, but I I will get back to you guys. So Mike, thanks for that information. I'll actually probably read that in a future episode on different ways that Mike uses on X uh, out there on the trap line in Wyoming. Um, and a few other guys, if you have some, uh, use case or uh, ways that you use on X that we haven't talked about, feel free to shoot me an email, jrodwood at gmail.com, J R O D W O O D at gmail.com. Uh, quick shout out for a few of the, the things that I have products I have available that, um, I just want to make sure everybody's aware of Walter Arnold main trapper stories from one of the last mountain men. That's my new book and I'm getting 
book orders every day. It's pretty awesome to see. It's kind of cool when, uh, you know, there's advantages to having distributors and, and wholesalers and, and getting the book out in the hands of dealers. But it's there's also advantage to just doing it yourself because you can actually see uh, exactly how many copies are being sold. So I pop on my Amazon uh, account and I can see how many people have ordered on Amazon and I, I can't see the actual customers unfortunately but I can see numbers of orders and then I get orders through the mail as well so it's it's pretty cool to see the orders are just kind of uh, continuing to trickle in and we're getting the book in a lot of people's hands. Go ahead and leave that review on Amazon that always helps and email me if you would like to, uh, to to order a copy through the physical mail, like me to ship you a copy. Um, I'm happy to do that. Also, Fur Profit, Trapper's Guide to the Modern Fur Market. That's a book uh, I wrote a couple years ago now. And uh, that is, you know, there's a lot has changed in the fur market, particularly with losing North American fur auctions. But there's still a lot of great basic information for trappers. That's still available on trappingtoday.com. And the long distance call lure, actually haven't really done much with that, but I still have lure in stock and just shipped one out in the past week. And I haven't really been advertising or talking about it at all, but if you are looking to get some LDC lure for the upcoming season, then uh, feel free to check that out on trappingtoday.com as well. 25 bucks for four ounce jar of lure shipped to your door. And I haven't decided yet whether I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to make the LDC and then I have a bunch of other lure that I use that I, I've got lure that I make that I use and I haven't sold. Um, I, I may offer some of that. I sent, I did that experimental lure last year, sent that out to a bunch of guys, got some really good feedback on that, but I haven't really worked on getting all of the supplies like a, a steady supply of all the different ingredients that I need for that lure so uh, it's kind of been on the back burner haven't been not really not really uh, into the professional lure making side of things I guess but I I make some lure and it works well for me and other people have used it and it works well for them so um, it, it's pretty easy just to put that up for sale online and sell a few bottles here and there uh, to, to give guys something to use, something to try out. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just good to, it's a good little addition. Um, and I've been making some other alternative lures for Martin and Fisher trapping that have worked quite nicely. And it's been nice to be able to experiment with different types of lures rather than just the skunk. So uh, we, we've got a lot there. I'm looking at the shelf here and there's a whole pile of different varieties of lures, my own and from other lure makers and uh, there's boy we have endless endless options for as trappers all right that's enough of that i'll let's uh get into the episode with rich mellon from trapping inc tv so so you've done a lot covering like your trap line but you've also gone and visited other trappers throughout canada right was that kind of fascinating yeah i'm wondering if was that uh the initial plan or were those people you knew you happened to know or did you kind of uh, kind of work your way into that um i'll tell you this up front it's been less successful than it appears on the show <laughs> okay <laughs> i traveled up in the it, there, there's a giggle uh it's a joke but in the territories and the yukon and that, and that 
every town is for something, right? Every yeah. every wide spot in the road is for something. And I think three winters ago, I was in every fort in both the Northwest Territories and uh, the Western part of the Northwest Territories and in Yukon. And I, I brought back one show. Oh, really? Like, oh, so many people only remember their best days. It's like talking to people fishing, right? Yeah. You you understand this. You know, how many fish did you catch? Oh, it was the only this it's lane. Nev- it's <laughs> never what it used to be, too. No, and and you know, as a as a fish bi- fish biologist, you've done creel surveys and that kind of stuff. Yeah, they're quite different than the stories that you hear, right? Exactly. Natural. Yeah. So the, those anecdotal uh, evidence that is you take it with a very large lump of salt, but but so I don't know a lot of these people. You know, I've I've met them either through the show or somebody else has contacted me, and and we've got more and more leery about it and it costs a lot to do this right absolutely i'm amazed that you're able to do so much traveling well but we're we're self-funded and and some of it's worth doing like i really like to see the old folks a lot of the old people are are getting too old you know they don't Mm -hmm. do them too much anymore but i've i've uh i've done a lot of traveling and i'd like to travel more but you know my range in a vehicle is, you know, Alberta, Saskatchewan, some of BC, that kind of stuff. Uh, when I drove, like, to Nuvik, I did a show up there. Uh, drove, actually, I drove all the way to Aklavik, which you, you, you go from Nuvik, it's two and a half hours on, on the ice roads on the Mackenzie River Delta, which is a whole another another circus. But just to get to Nuvik, that's 3,000 kilometers, 2,900 and... 36 kilometers wow. from my door to Anuvik, to the hotel I stayed one night in Anuvik. You know, like, that is a long time. And then I got up there, and, uh, you know, we got caught. Uh, and the big storm blew in, and I spent three days renting a, a place to sleep on the on the floor of the church in, in Fort McPherson because there are no hotels there, but the, the Dempster Highway was closed, you know, and the, the wind was blowing. And, like, the wind when the wind blows there, when they have... I don't know. You guys probably don't get Chinooks there. But we in don't. In wintertime, we get Chinook. Yeah, we get Chinook, and it's a it's a warm wind. And yeah. It's got to do with the, the airflow coming over the mountains and how it compresses and, and drags down warm weather and all. Of, uh, anyway, but usually a big thaw is, comes with it. Well, so when we have a Chinook here, it'll get, get above, above freezing and start thawing. Up there, <laughs> when it gets to, uh, would be uh, like zero Fahrenheit or, or you know, minus 20 uh, Celsius is is when they're getting their Chinooks and that starts blowing. And thank God they have very little snow up there. You know, it's they, they just don't have a lot of snow over there. It's it's almost like a desert. It's as far dry. As, yeah, uh, yeah. In the in the winter time because it blows in that road like un, nonstop. So I sat at Fort McPherson, you know, for three days and literally, you know, cost twenty five bucks to rent a place to unroll my my uh, <laughs> sleeping bag every night in the in the local church and, and I mean God bless them it was that or trying to sleep in my vehicle and, and you know in that weather right did you get a show out of it but I did I did but you know I, I, I drove all the way up there and he had checked his traps the night before <laughs> you know so we ended up we ended up getting one links yeah you know and he didn't have a lot of a lot of traps out yeah. you know it, it's uh, there and he, the town of McClavick is, uh, I forget how many hours it is in the wintertime by boat, it's, or in the summertime by boat, it's 
14 hours or something by boat to get there. You can get it two and a half, three hours on the ice roads in the wintertime. And it's a town of 600. And he was the only trapper in the town. Yep. And I said, I said to him, I said, why do you live here? And he said, it's because it's our land. This is where we live. But I said, you're the only one that lives off the land. Everybody else is down there <laughs> buying, buying a bottle of pop at $12 a bottle. You know, like, well, I don't understand. It was the same way when you I was know? in Alaska. It was, it was amazing how many people in, in the villages don't trap. Yeah. Almost nobody yeah. traps. Well, and that was the weird part because I'm up there traveling around and I had several different organizations like uh, um, indigenous organizations come to me and say, we want to hire you to teach trapping to our people again. And I said, I don't understand. Uh, I'm an old white guy. What, what do I have to teach? And they said, well, we have lost you know, several generations and nobody has the knowledge anymore. And, uh, you know, they, they claim that they lost it through the residential schools, which were a crime against humanity, you know, took, took, them, the, took them out of the bush and, and into, uh, into town. Is that what you mean by that? In, in the Catholic schools, the Catholic church bears the biggest burden on this. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, and yet they all attacked the, the uh, Canadian government. Uh, but yeah, they, they went on for, for a long time. It was, it was it's horrific. And, and it's a terrible, terrible thing. I think though, that it's kind of a combination of things that created a perfect storm. Yeah. I think not only was there the, the residential schools, but I think there was progress, you know, the, the encroaching of civilization and, and they ran into all of the, the sins and pleasures or whatever of the you know, modern civilization. Yeah. That they never, they weren't exposed to before. Mm -hmm. And one of the big things that, that goes on is they all talk about how they want to live their, their life. Well, back then, their life, you know what their job was? Survival. That's what they did every day of every year was survival. And so they had a beaver camp here in the spring, and then in the summertime was a fish camp, and, and then there was there was moose camp, and then there was... Then there was trapping camp, and you know, and when, and they just kept moving and moving and moving. But every day was, you know, a foot race to stay alive. And they have all those rights still today. They can still do all of that stuff, but they prefer. And like many of them have said the same, said this to me. Well, no, we like to be, in, you know, have a heated house and, and running water and and you know, three hundred cable TV channels, right? Yeah, they think you're and crazy just, for yeah. going out in the bush. Well, <laughs> I have I have taught a lot of people about trapping, but the the first thing there's there's two things. One, that's a lot of work, and two, boy, sometimes it doesn't pay very well. No, sometimes it does. <laughs> you know, every every now and then, you know, you have that that 2012, 2013, 2014 for yeah. the Martin. You know, where yeah. where you know they were running hundreds of dollars each. You know, like I had you know in the two you know two hundred dollars for for a Martin. In, uh, you know, which God bless them, Martin, are, are, are like skinning a squirrel and fleshing a squirrel, only easier because they're a little bigger. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there is nothing so simple as a Martin. And for to get $200 for it, you know, I mean, if you're getting $50, $60 for a Martin today, it's still good money because there's not a lot of work involved, right? Yeah. You know, as compared to getting $50 for a double XL beaver, like, wow, that's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, just, and we, of course, out here, the Western beaver is, is a reddish brown, so it's not as valuable as your black beaver back there. Yeah. 
And, and that's funny because actually fur harvest is now being the only auction is changing that because they're, they all get lumped into whatever size they are. They're not dividing them into Western and Eastern anymore because everything's getting dyed, right? Okay. Everything is, is, is getting dyed and, and it makes no difference because most, most of it is plucking, shearing, or, or going to uh, making hats. So you're doing better uh, on your beaver now then? We are, but where we're doing best is, is uh, the uh, caster. Yeah. Because you take uh, Western Western Canadian Select is $110 a pound U.S. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And only only that is a particular color. When you open the caster, they can tell whether it's from the West or from the East. No it, kidding. It's got nothing to do with yeah, it, it, is a, it is a particular type of cast. Like the best you'll get out of, um, you'll get about $90 a pound, which is still really that's, good money. That's what I got. Yeah, that's what I got at the last auction. Yeah, yeah. and that'll be for your best your best caster, your top caster in that. But uh, we, we got, there's two, sorry about that, there's two grades above that out here. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. But the same thing, I mean, we get... I do all my beaver in the wintertime because I, for one thing, it, it's, uh, if I'm going to do them, I, I need to save so many, so much for bait. And, uh, and, uh, that's one of the focuses. Like I probably use 10, 10 of those 40 pound two year olds for, for bait every year. And I also, you know, I want, if I'm going to kill them for, for bait, I want it to be, to be worth something. So I, I take and, uh, you know that's when you get your most ca most casters are in the wintertime because they're not using them, and uh, the the second thing that's when that that hide is the fullest and that and they degrade them when it comes to uh, like the felters are are the big people that are buying right now, and they grade them by weight. You know yeah. how much how much they're weighing per per hide. So of course the winter beaver brings you a lot more more because it's a lot thicker, a lot a lot heavier, right? Do you have a, a long haired beaver there that's uh, shearable? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Our that's that is our two markets: felting and shearing. Yeah, and the the, the shearers are are in the wintertime. I did uh, uh, an episode where we uh, we took twenty of our our beavers. We had them uh, tanned and and plucked and sheared, and then we had them made into a blanket. Awesome. Well, it is like uh, crushed velvet, but half inch thick. You know, and this <laughs> is this, this king size uh, bed. Oh, we have a lot of fun with it. We, Actually, opened one show this year with with us laying in bed under this blanket. <laughs> <laughs> We're fully clothed and everything, but my wife said this is kind of weird, you know. I <laughs> uh, said, yeah. "You've been married to me for forty years, and you're just figuring this out now." <laughs> <laughs> no, no. The uh, going back to the show, the the thing has been incredibly successful. Like, I think were you, were you as surprised that? I, I'm kind of surprised that a trapping show became so. You, were you like the number one outdoor show in Canada? Oh, by multiples, by multiples. We are, we are. Um, if you took the channel average, we're Nelson rated on Well TV. If you took the channel average, our show is has ten times the numbers of the channel average. Okay? Wow! And of the next show closest to us, we are more popular by three times. You know, like, and those those are huge numbers. We did 3.24 million viewers last year. That is incredible. Um, in Canada, <laughs> that is that is like being on on the major mainstream. <laughs> Most major network. cable TV networks can't get get that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
So, so well, obviously, it like, struck a chord with people that that are not in the trapping community. Well, and, and funny you mentioned that because that was the next words out of my mouth. Is that I bet you eighty to eighty-five percent of our of our uh, viewers are not trappers. Yeah, I'm sure we have a hundred percent of the trappers out there that have <laughs> connection to, to TV or to the internet or whatever. But um, I'm sure that that you know I know I know I mean it's. I could send you emails that I get one after another after another. I'm not a trapper, but you know this is so interesting. People uh, love the, the like the back to uh, you know the, the primitive survival, you know, living in the in the woods. I mean, we don't pull any punches. We run a generator. You know, we're we're not. Yeah, you're not pretending not, like you're, this is something. No, 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 no. Because once again, just doing it and doing it for the whole the full pull. You know, from the first of October till. Um, we have uh, beaver and otter and muskrat run to May 15th, but you, they're they're damaging one another too bad in the breeding season before that. So on average, probably the end of April is when it all ends. You do that for the full pull, you know, um, that's a lot of work. I mean, yeah. good God, it's it's good that you don't have to try and do anything by candlelight. You know what I mean? <laughs> we we interviewed an old guy. This is something. Here, here, here's this came such a shock to me. Okay, we interviewed an old fella, and he went to the bush at 14. He went to the left, left home, uh, abusive family relationship, all that kind of stuff, and, and at 14. He's now, I think he's probably close to 80. So that's a long time ago, and he went to the bush, and he lived in a lean-to and went trapping. Okay, a lean-to. Wow. This is in northern Alberta. And I figure I'm tougher than the average bear, but I ain't that tough. No. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and he's a kid. He's 14. Okay, and he's in a lean to, so you know, uh, Sandy's doing uh, and I are doing the interview with him, and I, and I says, so what's the toughest part about living in a lean to? And I'm thinking about you know, staying warm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He says, hey, getting your fur to dry evenly. <laughs> was it, was it, yeah, honest to God. So <laughs> he did that for for his first winter, and and he uh, then drug all of his fur out to the road. And I forget how many miles he was back in the bush. Like, it took days. So he was maybe 30, 40 miles back in the bush. And he'd come out on snowshoes, dragging everything with a, on a crab wall, right? Yeah. And uh, he flagged down the Greyhound bus. I was back in the days when we had, still had Greyhound bus. <laughs> and he flagged down the Greyhound bus along the highway, which you, which you could do. You could, you could flag down a, a, a train as well. And he flagged it down, and they took him to Edmonton. And he uh, sold us for an all that. His check for that winter was like $1,600. He had all of the money in the world, right? Yeah. This is, I don't know, back in the 50s? You know, somewhere in there, 50s maybe. Somewhere there. And so then he bought a tent. He bought an army surplus tent, and he bought a, a, a wood heater, you know, like a, an old airtight wood heater. And he went back to the bush. He did that for two, three winters. And then his uh, brother-in-law kind of tricked him into taking a snowmobile. His brother-in-law... Uh, his wife had married very well, uh, or his sister had married very well, and and uh, she talked about about the you know all the work that Alan was going through and all that. And so he kind of come up, visited, and with a couple snowmobiles, and he left one snowmobile there. And so then Alan started to use it. And my wife said to him, you know, like this is how we think, how modern people think. And this was such a surprise to me. And this is the kind of intuitive leaps that when it comes to fur and that that I never come to. But my wife says to him, so you could your trap line could be much bigger. You know, you could you could cover much more ground. Was that the biggest benefit of the snowboat? 
So he looked at her and he says, no, he says, I didn't have to pack those, all those animals back over my back to thaw them, to skin them. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah, <laughs> you can imagine. You go, you go and you've got four wolves sitting there. Now that's all going to come back on your back on snowshoes to be thawed before you can, you can even skin them. Yeah. Like the, 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 the incredible leap forward that the snowmobile was, or you know, an ATV was, was just it was mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Isn't that funny? You don't you don't think of that stuff, do you, Jeremiah? No, absolutely not. No, and I mean, even when you're beaver yeah. trapping, you can at least skin if you have to without carrying it out. But you got a big frozen animal. I mean, that yeah, that that was a, had to be an incredibly limiting factor. Well, yeah, it was all on his back. You know, and you think about that. My grandpa. My grandpa went to the, um, uh, was out on the, his trapline line was out on the Lacknell River, and uh, he lived in Grovedale, so it was probably in the neighborhood of 75 or 80 miles. And he went out in the fall. This is like long before I was born or whatever, but he went out in the fall on snowshoes. He came out at Christmas time, and he came out uh, in springtime. But he did it all packing on his back. he came come out with his bundle of fur and, Twice, twice a year, but that far on snowshoes. You know, like it's, it's just mind-boggling how tough these people were. He used to tell me stories, and this, this is the kind of impact that, you know, how I ended up the way I am. <laughs> yeah. But kind of impact, he, he would, the wolves would be howling, and so he'd, he'd take a moonlight night, and he would l- lie up on a, on a ridge in the snow on the Lachanel River, and he'd howl at them, and he rubbed the red phosphorus off of a match on the front side of his, uh, of his, uh, he had a 2535 with the old octagon barrel, such a yeah. cool rifle. Anyway, he had that and they, they, they'd come down the river sometimes and he'd, he'd shoot them in the moonlight. Like, it's just like, like oh my God, it, 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 today that gives me chills thinking about Grandpa telling me that, you know, Grandpa was, was pretty sick when he was telling me that. And I was four, for God's sake. Yeah. I remember that. Hard to remember that stuff. Oh my God. It made such an impression. Uh, back when men were men, right? <laughs> the, the, the good I am such a wussy today. <laughs> <laughs> Which would you rather have? One what? Uh, w- would you rather be trapping back in the 30s and 40s or doing it today? Uh, That's a tough one, huh? I think it is a tough one because there was everything was so new back then but they weren't you know there was nothing that was considered humane back then um things were pretty rudimentary like you should have seen the original martin trap have you ever researched that uh, i i've heard of some pretty nasty ways people used to catch martin the most nastiest and i've found them on trees around here they would chisel a hole that was two inches square i know yeah chisel it back yeah. in about yeah, they chisel it back in about four inches into the tree. They put their bait back there. Then, then from the bottom on an angle up, they would drive a sharpened spike, yeah. so that it covered about three quarters of the opening. And the, and the martin would shove his head back in there to try and get the meat, and he'd shove it up over top of that that spike. Well, then when he tried to pull back, it would penetrate up underneath his jaw, and he would hang there till he died. Yeah. And that was that was normal. They didn't think they were being cruel. Right. You know as. As we become more and more civilized, we, we set ourselves further and further apart from the animals, right? And back in the day, you know, we were closer to a wolf. Like, I mean, everybody says, oh, a wolf hamstrings an animal, then they cut its throat and all that. They don't. 
They, they hang off his butt until he can't run anymore. Then one grabs him by the nose until it's exhausted and then it falls over. The minute that moose quits trying to fight, they start eating it. Yeah. And it might live for a day and a half with wolves eating on it. The, the, wolf, the wolves kill by blood loss. That's, it, it's that simple. And that's blood loss from them eating. So, but to try and put our morality or ethics or whatever on an animal is stupid. And it's not realistic. And, and it's the basis of, of all of Disney and, and, and all the griefs that come with that. But as we get more and more civilized, we, we understand, you know, better our, the, the, the way to deal with this stuff. And uh, I, I guess if I lived back in those times, I'd have been happy as could be. Yeah. You know, uh, but no, knowing what I know now, I, you were known I would again. have had yeah. more. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I, where I was trying to get before when I was talking about the Ku Klux Klan and all of that. We didn't, they didn't know any different. And, and those folks back then didn't know any different, you know? My, my my grandpa nearly drowned one year coming out because uh, he had to cross the Smoky River, which is a very large river. He had to cross it on the ice, so he had to balance between how long he trapped because it was, you know, the seasons went much longer than what he could than what he could stay out there. But he had to balance, you know, how long he could trap and, and still get across that river before the ice went. And one year, you know, he didn't uh, didn't time it right and uh, went through the ice and. He still died. He, he was lucky. He had a big pack of fur on his back that caught on the ice. You know, wow. you think about stuff like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, people, people certainly died that way. I mean, people that disappeared oh. and were never found. I uh, I get to have one or two unscheduled showers or baths a year thanks to otter trapping. Just about all of our otter trapping takes place in the wintertime when everything's frozen. And otter travel immense distances in the snow, and mm-hmm. and they're a really cool animal. And, and most people all think of them frolicking in the water and that. And I don't think that's not how I picture otter. I picture them in the snow, and and it, and it's cool how adapted they are to it. But if you ever want to go swimming, just get a hold of an otter track and start following it, because <laughs> they know. I don't know whether it's by scent or by by. Uh, by sound or whatever, they know every weak spot on the ice, and they go to the places where you would, where you think you're safe walking. Like lots of times when you're going around the edge of a pond or a creek or whatever, you walk on the cattails, right? Because mm-hmm. you know that the cattails are attached to the bottom. Uh, you know that's how a cattail lives, and and that that that's safe. You're not going to fall through there. You, you know, step outside the cattails, you might. But otter will go right into those cattails and they'll have a hole in there, and where they go in and out, in and out, in and out. You know, you can fall through there. One time it was. It was a pretty damn cold day. We were we were probably in like minus thirty Celsius, so that's that's twenty some below Fahrenheit. And I was making a long run, and I had an otter set. I found a, an um, otter access hole, and you got to hit them when they're fresh because they only, they don't spend very long at every every body water. Then they move on. You know they're not trapped there, and and yeah. uh, you know it's just nature's way of of them moving on to to not overutilize a, an area or whatever. So when you find one, then you have to set it right away. And our, our season only opens on December 1 for otters. So, I mean, everything's frozen at that point. Uh, I had set this, and the easiest way is you set a, um, a set 280 or, or 330 body grip over top of that access hole. And when they either go in or go, come out, you, you catch yourself an otter. And, but it's got to be right away. So I had said it the day before, I'm coming back to, you know, the next day I got to go, go by there on, on a dog leg and, and uh, no, nothing had been there. So I, I walk over, the, and as I'm walking over, I think, hmm, I should, 
And she's like, just that, just a little bit. Like I, I had this, the, the, the trigger not, not set quite right. It was kind of flared on me. And, and I was walking over to it and, and right there, then I, I go through the, the ice. Oh. I go through the ice and as I'm falling, and I'm falling forward, of course, it's the way you go through ice. <laughs> I'm falling forward and, and my face is headed to the set 330. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And so I roll sideways. And, uh, you know, because I do not want to land in this thing, and I go, I go through the ice, just like kaboom, like, you know, like a, a log falling, and I go through, and the trap comes with me. So now I'm in the water, I'm underwater, but I'm afraid to put my foot down. There's a set trap right there. <laughs> so I kind of swim my way up, and it's, it's deep. I'm not sure whether I could stand up and touch bottom or not, but... But it, it's deep, and I grab a hold of the of the cattails, and I pull myself out, and that, I, I pull the trap up, and and uh, now nah, I'm soaked. I'm soaked, and I'm I'm about 18 miles away from uh, as my trail goes away from the cabin. So I just you can either try and build a fire, which probably I couldn't. You know, you you got to move through all that deep snow to keep wood to keep the fire going. So the best speed was my was my solution, and I was on a snowmobile that day, so I just I flew back to the cabin. But it took me. It took my wife probably 20 minutes to get me out of my my climb gear and that because I was it was all frozen like iron. Yeah, I bet. Like I couldn't. Yeah, I was I was frozen that 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 solid right. And but you know if you, if my snowmobile had went through it, I'd have been wet there too. But it could yep. have been a whole different story. Yep, absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's it, it, you just have to be aware of that stuff, right? But yeah, otters are you know <laughs> it happens all the time. Usually it's only. I only end up, you know, you go through and in a sudden uh, surprise and it's up to your waist or whatever, and that's not bad. But yeah, going swimming with your two floating in the water is another story. <laughs> yeah, that that is that is no good. Uh, do you do you use the Argo uh, more on the on the shoulder season for that reason? Yes, and I use the Argo like I have three different loops that total that over that three hundred kilometers, and I use the Argo up in the north. And it's uh, about a 54 kilometer loop, so 30 some miles. And I, when we get out there, the first day we get out there, I, I get the generator going and Sandy takes care of the, uh, of the wood and everything's frozen. You know, lots of times it's, it, you know, it'll be 25 below zero inside the cabin and, and that kind of stuff. So everything's frozen. So her and the dog, she, she starts getting the, the, uh, the fire going and, and, uh, warming everything up and I'll take off at that point and, and, uh, you know, we're probably into the cabin by 8.30 at night, and, and uh, I'll get back anywhere between, depending on how much fur I get, between 2 and 3 in the morning. And uh, by that time, she'll be in bed. And the, the, the first night, though, things are so cold that, that you actually oh. crawl into the sleeping bag in your snowmobile suit. <laughs> yeah, it takes forever to warm a cabin up. I don't think people, a lot of people don't realize how long it actually takes. And the only thing that doesn't freeze is ketchup. <laughs> like, I'm, not, like, I'm not sure you should eat ketchup. Like everything else freezes solid. Like, uh, uh-huh. Thirty below, you can still squirt ketchup out if you want to. Yeah. But yeah, she, she's a tough girl, man. She is. She is such a, a sense of humor because I'll, I'll come in at, at three in the morning, and by then it'll be fairly warm, and I'll wake her up, and I'll say, you know, you, you need to get out of some clothes and and, and get underneath the. And <laughs> but you'll see her there. And she, she'll have her toque on and her, her snowmobile suit on and. And, and their hood up and everything, and should be sound asleep in bed. <laughs> not many women, not many women are that tough or have that sense of humor. Let me tell you. <laughs> so, 
I'll uh, I'll put, you know get into bed at, at, at two thirty three o'clock in the morning. I'll probably sleep until late. Yeah, and then get up and and I'll have a cup of coffee and and, and breakfast and then I'll be gone for that day. I'll I'll get a snowmobile and and I'll I'll do over a hundred. And the last day is is usually uh, wolf baits and and uh, beaver and that kind of stuff. And and that's a you know another another hundred and some there, right? So that adds up to over 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 three hundred. But some of it doesn't take like wolf baits, you know. One, you know, if you got wolves, you got uh, you got lots of work. But you know, nine times out of ten, you 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 drive by and there's not a track or nothing else, so you don't even get off the machine, right? Yeah, you don't want to disturb it, right? Yeah, so you can make really, you know, those, those days you're really making good time, and uh, you know, it it, uh, it it just it's one of those situations that I I love the Argo because I'm so safe and so secure in it. Nice and heated cab, warm. Yes, yeah, but you know, like. 54 kilometers, 30 miles uh, is a is a long trip in an Argo. Yeah, how fast can you know, you, like, do those things go? Well, I, I use my GPS, and on my GPS, I, I can have uh, like uh, velocity made good. So that tells me what I'm averaging, including all my stopping and everything. And it once again depends on how much fur I'm getting because I got to you know set up camera, get the cameraman out, that kind of stuff, and, and you know so that slows things down a lot. But I average 14 kilometers an hour. Okay. Is what I ask. Including okay. stopping. Yeah. That, that includes all my time with the fur and everything else. Yeah. And it, in reverse, when you're talking about a snowmobile, I average 23 kilometers an hour. Mm-hmm. So it's not that much faster. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it's amazing. Because uh, it, what really takes up the time is, is making your sets, changing stuff, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. You know? It, yeah, it, I, w- I would have thought the snowmobile too. would be like three times faster. You know, if if all you're doing by the time I get down into um, like my wolves, I end, I end at the end of February, and after that, then I'm I'm just I'm checking otter and beaver and that. Yeah, I can I can go faster then, especially if we're not if we're not freezing or, or blowing snow and that. But the trend the last few years with late season snow has become just brutal for for beaver trapping because here you almost always start on the south facing side of a house when you're setting up because that is the last place to freeze because uh, the sun, you know, that, that's mm-hmm. getting sunshine at, at the most. And it's the first place to, to thaw in the spring as well, right? Mm-hmm. So you always start there. But south facing, you know, means that here where uh, our winds are from the north or northwest or northeast all the time, that's where drift. the biggest drift is. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we just, just had a, a, a terrible winter for it. It, it just... You get out there and and you you got three or four sets on a on a house, and you might have an hour worth of shoveling to do. You know, like I mean, it gets to be a grind. That does. <laughs> that gets old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, now, did you have the? I'm curious if you had the trap line before you started the show, or did they both happen about the same time? This trap line happened at the same time. Okay. I've had other trap lines. Yeah. I've trapped all my life. Uh, we have two different um, ways you can trap in, in Alberta. There are the registered lines where you own a line, and there are resident lines where and resident lines take place on private land. It would be much similar to your, your situation. Yeah. I just have to get permission from the landowner. Mm-hmm. And in Alberta, that permission has to be in writing. It has to identify the legal land location. And if I'm going to use uh, lethal snares, I have to, he has to, the owner has to check off the fact that he's approving that. 
And that's where the vast majority of coyotes come from. Coyotes and muskrats all come from private land, the, the, the vast majority, because that's in that's the farm where country. Life is yeah. easy for them. Yeah, the farm country, exactly. Yeah, life is easy for them. I hope you enjoyed that sit down with Rich. We had a lot to talk about, still a little bit more to come, and uh, just an interesting guy. He's all over the place. He's got all kinds of uh, stories to tell and very good at explaining things and and helping people understand things that he experiences on the trap line and ways that he does things and everything. So that was really good. Um, this week's episode was brought to you in part by Cots Brothers Lures. TS-85 Beaver Trap. This is a revolutionary trap that has become the tool of choice for a lot of beaver trappers throughout the U.S. The TS-85 has an 8.5 inch jaw spread. It is designed by Tim Swatsky out of Minnesota. A really phenomenal trapper and a, a trap designer. Made in the USA, this 8.5 inch jaw spread, man, it's just a huge target area for beavers. It's a great open water beaver trap. Um, it is uh, it has a, a dogless pan. It's really high, high levers. It's easy to set. Um, the trap is just really versatile, and it's opening up a lot of options for beaver trapping, as well as a lot of guys up north are modifying this trap. Guys in Alaska are modifying it for use uh, in wolf trapping. If it's properly modified, it can make a heck of a, a nice wolf trap. So TS-85, check it out at Cots Brothers Lures or where you get your trapping supplies. And with that, thanks again for being here. And until next week, keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping. Hope you are able to do more than I've been able to do lately to get prepared for the season. It's coming. All right, guys, take care.